Welcome to the No Sanity Required Podcast. Let's talk about Amos. Welcome to No Sanity Required from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. So Amos was a prophet, and he was, and what a prophet. Let me quick give you a, a uh, like a definition, a working definition of a prophet. So there were there were three main offices that God instituted in the Old Testament. So when you read through the Old Testament of your Bible you will see a large section of scripture uh, called the prophets. And you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. And that is, uh, that's essentially the major prophets were more well-known. They wrote higher volume. There's several things that make them the quote major prophets. Minor prophets tend to be shorter books of the Bible, less, less prominent figures, um, more localized and so, for instance, major prophet would be Isaiah, probably the most uh, revered prophet of Israel, even at the time of Jesus. Uh, everybody loved Isaiah. And so uh, a minor prophet, one that was less known, would be a guy like Amos. And Amos was a, a super interesting guy, and I want to talk about him this morning, and hopefully this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time it might be for you, uh, it's morning at the time that I'm recording this. But Amos was a prophet. So you had prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets were men who took the word of the Lord. God would give them the word, and then they would go and they would preach and proclaim the word to the people. So they were God's mouthpiece or spokesperson to the people. A priest would take the needs of the people, the sins, the needs, the confessions of the people, and he would go before the Lord on the on behalf of the people. And in modern days, you've got... Two offices, not offices, two two things that we see functioning in modern churches that look similar to both of those. One, a pastor or a preacher has some of the same characteristics and responsibilities of a prophet of old. The difference is nowadays a, a preacher is going to take the word of God and preach the word of God. It is a, So anybody can read it and receive a word from the Lord when they study a scripture, but a preacher explains it properly in the right context. And that's, that's what the pastor of the local church, the preacher's job is a priest in the modern context. Most of us think of like in the Catholic church, I'll tell you a funny story. I was, uh, and we're, we're going to do another one of these. Uh, we'll do a podcast on, on, uh, priests, uh, uh, somewhere down the road, but uh, a funny story. One time I was doing a wedding at a church where there was a priest and in order for me to be able to perform, preach the wedding, the priest had to accompany me. It was kind of like he was my handler on the stage. And so uh, the priest was a guy named, everybody called him Father Larry. And so I took to calling him Big Lair because um, he was a pretty uptight guy. And I thought we need to loosen this guy up a little bit, have some fun. So I started calling him Big Lair. And so Big Lair, his job, he was referred to as Father Larry. And his so and when we think of the priest, we might think of, uh, if you're not from a Catholic background, you think of priest in the Catholic sense, which was the guy that, you know, people confess their sins to the priest, and then he takes it to God. Uh, but that that is not biblical in the New Testament sense, because the Bible says we are all priests, so we can talk directly to God, but that our high priest is Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, Jesus, our high priest, has passed through the heavens. Scripture also says he's our mediator. Scripture also says Jesus is the final prophet, 
in the book of Hebrews, through whom the Lord has spoken. So prophet, priest were Old Testament positions that have now been fulfilled and changed through the work of Jesus. And then the last one was king. And um, we're we're looking at a lot of kings and studying the kings um, right now and uh, and getting ready for some men's conference stuff we're going to be doing in, in the next year. And so we're going to be bringing you some of that information. But the king was the man that God appointed to lead and rule over the people. And and so ultimately, Jesus is the, the final king. He's the king of kings. So a little background on prophets, priests, and kings. Now, priests, I mean, I'm sorry, prophets uh, had a very difficult role sometimes because if the king was not serving the Lord and the prophet was called to speak against the king, then that could be bad for him. He could be killed. He could be martyred for speaking the word of the Lord. And so... What, what I love about this guy, Amos, this little book of the Bible called Amos, it opens up in Amos chapter 1, verse 1, it says the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. So he was a shepherd. He was a working dude, man. He was a working class. Uh, you'll see a lot of agrarian, uh, is that the word? Like like farming, shepherding, you know, that type of terminology in the book of Amos. But the book of Amos is a really strong book of prophecy against certain people specifically against Israel but there some of Israel's neighbors are in there too and so I want to um I want I want to learn from Amos in a way that might help us in the middle of our crisis in the world today the as I'm recording this we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic you might listen to this years down the road and that's a bygone thing but it, it, it will forever shape and change our society and our world. That's for sure, at least in our lifetimes. And so Amos's words, I think, are pertinent for us in the middle of a, a global crisis. And here's why. Because uh, I believe it, that Scripture is clear that God oftentimes judges people, judges the, the deeds and the hearts and the intents of people, and that uh, one of the things that Amos will teach us is that the Lord brings judgment for the sin of people sometime. And so we need to we need to wrestle with the truth like that and say, okay, how does that apply to modern America or the or the 21st century world that we live in? Could God be judging us or could this be something God has sent? Um, and that's that's not a popular thing to say or talk about, but I think it's important that we wrestle through it. And so Amos was a shepherd. God called him. It says he saw uh, shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So Uzziah was king when Isaiah was prophesying, because in Isaiah 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So Amos and, uh, and Isaiah, their ministries overlapped. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So there's some major names and figures and events that are spoken of in the intro to Amos. And then out of that comes this small country rural guy who God uses to speak really big judgment on a lot of people. So in the first chapter of Amos, Amos names, this is by the word of the Lord, but he addresses the people of Damascus, the people of Gaza, the people of Tyre, the people of, uh, let's see, the Ammonites, the people of Ammon. And then he, uh, in the beginning of chapter 2, addresses the people of Moab. So these are several of the neighboring people groups to Israel who were all pagan. And God speaks through Amos that there's going to be judgment for all of these people. 
Then in Amos chapter two, verse four, he says there's going to be judgment against Judah. Now, who was Judah? Well, Judah was part of Israel and had split off in somewhat of a civil war. Excuse me, somewhat of a civil war. And so actually not somewhat, it was a major civil war. And so they had split, the kingdom had split. So Israel had divided and you had a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom. They were the enemies of Israel. And so Israel sort of lumped Judah in with all the rest of these pagan uh, peoples around them. And so God speaks a judgment against Judah. Now, lest Israel grow comfortable, God then turns his judgment towards Israel. In Amos chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke punishment because they sell the righteous for silver. And he begins to walk through why he's going to judge Israel. So now you've got, God judging pagan people, God judging his chosen people because of their disobedience. And so it's a really intense weight, like a heavy weight and intense feel in the first two chapters of Amos. Amos is prophesying God's judgment on people. All right, now get to Amos chapter three. Listen to this. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. He says, you're my people. I've known you in a special relationship. I've called you. You are my people. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish you for all of your sin. And you read on down through there, and in verse 6 it says, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Listen to this key word, key, key verse for us right now. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Wow. Let me read that again. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? God is saying to Israel that disaster, calamity, pestilence, war, famine, oppression, slavery, captivity, the governing rule of another people that that is going to come against Israel, and that is a that is from the hand of God as judgment on Israel. Wow! So Israel, who is God's chosen people, is going to be judged. Now, a couple of things that I want to I want to I want to give you as a, as thoughts. Okay, the first one is this: disaster comes to a city or a people or a land. It, it, he's saying in in Amos chapter three verse six. If that happens, the Lord has done it. The scripture teaches us that when disaster and calamity come on a people, God is sovereign and has authority over that. We need to pause right now and look at what's happening in our world and not shrink back from the biblical idea that somehow God is in command and in charge and is orchestrating this. Some have spoken out and said, hey, this is judgment on our land. And, and I think that that has to be considered. Others have said, no, God doesn't do that. This is just a, the sign of living in a fallen and broken world. And I think that's true too. God uses the brokenness of the world sometimes to mete out judgment on people. And so this is a very difficult thing to wrestle with. So as a Christian, how do we respond to this? How, how as a Christian, do I respond to the idea that maybe God is judging America, judging the world? right now. And why is he judging her? Well, here's what I can do. I can control 
my own response. I can't control the response of a nation, but I can control my own response. And there's some neat promises in scripture that I want to point out because here's the danger for those of us who are Christians. We could say, we could sort of sit back and say, God's judging America because of abortion or God's judging America because of her sexual perversion. He, she's walked away from, many will say, well, this country was founded on Christian principles and we've walked away from that. So God's judging. And all of that may very well be true, but the danger for me, Brody Holloway, here's my, here's the danger for me is that I sit back and I go, you know what? God's judging this nation. And I almost can have sort of a haughty, arrogant attitude about it. Almost like God's not judging me, but he is judging them others. And what I need to do is I need to be introspective and say, what should my response be? How should I respond to, to what's happening right now? How, how should I respond to the Lord? I want to give you a verse from second Timothy chapter two, second Timothy chapter two and verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. If you're a child of God, God knows you. God knows you. And here's what we can be confident of. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We will never come under eternal damnation and condemnation ever if you're if, if we're in Christ. If you're a Christian, saved by grace, born again, saved and washed in the blood of Jesus, uh, your sins atoned for. God's just wrath for toward your sin satisfied in the work that Jesus has done. If Jesus has stood in your place and you've received what he's offered and you've been forgiven of your sin, then you will never be condemned and judged. Okay. That's the good news. That's Romans eight is good news all over, but it's, it's also good news with the heavy weight of the reality that we live in a fallen world. And so in this fallen world, though I'm out from under condemnation and eternal damnation, I do still have a responsibility for my own actions and attitudes and thoughts and words and deeds. And so Paul is telling Timothy, and we're also the recipients of this, that the Lord knows who are his. God knows you're his. If you're a child of God, he knows you. And you're you're not to be condemned for your sin. Jesus has been condemned already for your sin in your place. That's good news. And for some, maybe there's a false sense of security. For some, we need you might need to heed the warning or heed this as a warning that hey, God knows who's are, who those who are His. Maybe you're not His, and you need to self-examine. We just we just did a podcast recently on assurance and doubt. We can know that we have eternal life. And the way we know is if Jesus is the one that's done the work of saving us, and our faith and our trust rests on Jesus and what He's done, then we can know. If we've repented of our sins, he's given us the right to be called the sons of God. If, we, if we've confessed our sin and called on the name of the Lord. So we can know. So, so the Lord knows who are his. But now watch this. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What is my responsibility right now? Is, is this the hand of God's judgment on the planet? I don't know. But I know this, I can turn from my own iniquity. What I need to do is self-examine. What I need to do is recognize that under the hand of God, condemnation has been removed, but I'm still a sinner. I still sin. I'm not defined by my sin. 
I'm not going to go to hell for my sin, but I'm still in need of constantly having the grace of God applied to my life. I need to walk in conviction and repentance. I need to constantly be aware of my iniquity. David, man after God's own heart, said, I know my iniquity and my sin is always before me. I need not walk in spiritual haughtiness and arrogance. I need to walk in humility, recognizing that God may judge nations and I'm out from under condemnation, but I'm, I'm still responsible for my own iniquity. And what I can do every day is seek the Lord and depart from iniquity. Walk in holiness, confess sin, strive to obey and follow after the Lord wholeheartedly. Listen to what the Bible says over in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. Give me a second here. I'm a slow Bible page turner. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. As I draw near to God, I, I draw near to Jesus. I draw near to, like, like as I draw near to the Lord, then I'm drawn near to God. Like my my nearness to the Lord is in Christ. So as I draw near to the Lord Jesus every day, then I'm drawing near to God. And he lives, Jesus lives to make intercession for me. So we said earlier that the priest, the role of the priest is no more because Jesus is my high priest. He intercedes on my behalf before the Lord. What we can do in this time of calamity is ask the Lord how we might see and be aware of our own iniquity. Yes, we need to intercede for the the sins of our land. Yes, we have murdered 50 million children in the wombs of their mothers, what what should be the safest place a child could be, and we've murdered them. We've made a mockery of God's design for sexuality and marriage. We've made a mockery of God's the responsibility God's placed on us in evangelism and missions, oftentimes trading the comforts of this life for the discomfort of being on mission. That we, we could... We could really scrutinize ourselves in the church. We can also point a finger at the world and see where the calamities of our nation could be under judgment right now. But bottom line is, Jesus is interceding for me. I need to turn from my own iniquity and continually and constantly seek the Lord. And then, I mean, maybe in my own humility, I'm in a place where I can pray for my land, for my nation, for my world. Let's let's seek to pray in intercession for the sins of our for, for our our land. For, to confess the sins of our land. What if God's people would together confess the sins of our nation? God forgive us for being who we are, for becoming what we've become. Please forgive us, and we might intercede in that way by first seeking and self like like self evaluation of our own sin, and then seek the Lord's forgiveness in the areas that we failed him, and then intercede for the sins of our nation, recognizing that it's our nation, it's our land, and we have a responsibility. Amos stood in the gap. He interceded on behalf of Israel, but he also spoke hard truth, and he recognized that God judges rightly, always. Amos, when you read through the book of Amos, and I encourage you to do so, he addresses so many social justice issues, slavery, um, those things that are an abomination to the Lord in the way that one human treats another, war atrocities, the abuse of a conquered people. He, he addresses things that are very pertinent in our day. 
And we can learn a lot from that. And ultimately, what he tells us we need to do is throw ourselves at the mercy of the Lord. And that's what we need right now. We need, as a nation, to, to be thrown at the mercy of the Lord. We need to pray that God would bring conviction to our land. That as much as we care about the, a cure for a virus that's killing people, and we care about the, the sanctity of the life of those who are being affected, that we would have the same consistency in the way we care about the lives of the unborn. And that we would be a people who intercede and repent on behalf of our nation. And we also live in constant confession and repentance. And we walk in the fruit of repentance of our own sin and iniquity, as Paul told Timothy. So hope that's a good word for you. It's kind of a heavy word. Hope it's encouraging, not discouraging. Hope it's enabling, not disabling. Hope it empowers and strengthens your faith and gives you something to, to think about and focus on today. It's, uh, it's a lot, but um, I think it's pertinent for, for the times that we're living in. So I pray that God blesses and continues to, to give you hope and clarity and peace in this crazy time. Let's just keep trusting in Jesus because he is the King of Kings. He is on his throne and he is not to be shaken or moved. We can trust in that and rest in that. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.